Well, welcome to the podcast Beyond Sunday. We're excited to be with you today. I'm sitting here alongside of Spencer McCush, and I'm sitting alongside of uh, Christian Burkhart. And I'm sitting alongside of Todd Nicewanger. Yes. And we're... And- and Robin Albanese. And Robin Ooh, Albanese is Robin over here. Shout out there. And we were, I was actually excited to hear her podcast, by the way, or to sit down with her with her podcast that she did with two other ladies. It was awesome. But yeah, this is Beyond Sunday, where our whole heart is to figure out how do we take the amazing book, the Word of God, the Bible, and begin to unpack the amazing truths that are found in it, looking at those ideals of, of who God is, who we are supposed to be, and what we're called to be engaged in, and work them out in and through close relationships inside of the local church. And Cornerstone. This church. specific church, mm-hmm. Cornerstone Church. And so anyways, we are excited to do that today. And today we're going to take a stab at uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. And if you remember right, uh, if you were around the last two Sundays that uh, Christian and I were able to preach, he took a sweep through it and made sure that we understood the broad picture of what Paul was talking about in regards to grief, mainly around people that were in Christ. He talks about that in verse 16. They were the dead in Christ, but they, Paul was, or the people of Thessalonica were wondering, huh, is, what happens to these people? Are they mm-hmm. going to be there when King Jesus returns in his grand victory? And so Paul was going to answer that question, and then I kind of, I took another stab at it and kind of unpacked some of those little details that were in and around that as the support for why we could be people that were hopeful. We didn't have to grieve without hope, but we instead, as followers of Jesus, can grieve with hope. Mm -hmm. So that being said, and I'll let you, Christian, I'll let you kind of start it off. Like, So that was a text. That was the idea. Now, why, why should these people out there even have a care? about this particular topic and and why is it so important that we understand just those truths that Paul uh, gives to us in, in verses 13 through 18? Yeah, I, th- I think, why does it matter? It, because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is presented in the New Testament as like the paradigm shattering event in world history. Like the bigness of Easter for us as, as Christians, even though we, we, we tend to spend a lot more money at Christmas time, the bigness of Easter is the victory of Jesus over death. And I think the the thing that's really interesting in this passage is, again, you're, you're seeing a new, a, a first generation, the first time the gospels come into this society, and they're grappling with the way they've thought of death before in light of this news that they've believed of Jesus who was raised. And it's like the resurrection of Jesus is this gigantic boulder that gets dropped into the pond of their lives and the water's just sloshing around and they're trying to make sense of things, right? So I think there's this interesting way in which I think this was the reality for Paul as well, right? As as a Jewish student of the law, Pharisee, very aware of the the Old Testament hope of resurrection as this climactic, again, day of the Lord event, which we'll talk about the next week, of, of God promising to call his people from their graves. But it was this this massive thing. It's what the end of Daniel talks about, of this resurrection of some to a resurrection to life and some to a resurrection to, to judgment, to death. But it was this big, huge thing that would involve everybody. What do we do with the fact that now this one person, Jesus, has already entered into that resurrection? The, the resurrection has already begun, but it's not yet completed. Yeah. And what do we do with that with our brothers and sisters in Christ who've died? And what does that mean for the return of Christ? And it's really just... In some ways, it's fun because you do just see the the rearranging. The whoa, this like the 
the the way that I've understood life and death is has been jostled by the reality of this good news about Jesus and how do we as a group of people make sense of it? And that's what Paul's speaking into. Yeah, which is it's so what's so cool about it, right? You 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 keep your arms keep spreading out this big, <laughs> huge, big gigantic event, and here's this little church that probably had their first one or two people die. Yeah. And this huge event, Paul grabs it and he brings it into this intimate kind of reality of their existence inside of Thessalonica and says, let me take this big, gigantic event and let me show you how personal this yes. is and the way that it lands into, and I, I love the way he talks it, into our grief. Yeah. Right, into very intimate moments inside of your life. This big, gigantic event mm -hmm. changed everything. And so... Yeah, I think there's also implicit, it's not stated, but it's implicit of going, like we've talked before, of going, this is this is not a, this is a new way of thinking, right? This is, this is their perception of death would have been shaped by Roman culture at mm -hmm. the time. And so, man, how does, how does the hope of what Jesus is offering, how does it reframe my Roman, very Roman understanding, maybe even a little bit of Greek influence? Yeah. How does it, how does it shape my Greco-Roman understanding of death? Because that doesn't seem to connect with what I've heard about Jesus and the resurrection. And Paul kind of is writing into that and saying, hey, let me reframe this for you. So you're not thinking in light of what the world says, but right. something different. It's a, it's a total <clears throat> perspective change. And so, okay, yeah. so that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at this, this and land it not into a Greco-Roman culture, but we want to land this reality into an American culture. Yeah, because we're still asking the same question. 100%. I just got back from a memorial service last week where this was the question people are asking. But what's interesting, many of the questions they asked then were just rehashing those same questions over again, right? But the yeah. answer is still the same. It is found in the resurrection mm -hmm. of King Jesus. So that's what we're going to do next. We'll take a little look at the text. All right, Christian, so we're going to use you to kind of get us off and going uh, on this particular text, but maybe lay out for us again in, in case maybe we, we weren't around for those those two times you or I preached, or maybe even like just as a reminder, because we're now a few days separated yeah. from this. What what was going on inside of this text? What do we what do we need to kind of know and understand so that we can begin to to reshape our thinking in and around not only the, the resurrection of Christ but now even in, in our resurrection? Yeah, for sure. I mean, one of the things that, that sticks out first is Paul's use of that word uninformed. We don't want you to be without knowledge about this. Like so much of the letter, he's been reminding them of what he already taught them, and he says, "Here's a gap I need to fill. Here's information that you that you don't have that I need to supply for you." And again, he uses that well-known euphemism for death for, the, for, for Greek people, this idea of those who are asleep. And then he says again, those who've fallen asleep in Jesus in verse 14. And then he just pulls back the euphemism and the, and the metaphorical language in verse 16. And he just says, the dead in Christ. How do we understand death differently for those who are Christians? And again, he, he roots it. The hope that they can grieve with. Like he doesn't say not to grieve, but he says the the hope that you bring even the sorrow of the death of your loved ones um, is rooted in these two events. The historical event of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the promised event of the the coming, the parousia of Jesus from heaven. He says, between those two anchor points, okay, here's how we understand the death of those who are in Christ and even what, it's, what it will be like for those who are still alive when Jesus comes back. And the big point of it is that 
again, the death will not be forever. It, it even though sleep uh, death was talked about as this euphemism of sleep, Paul's saying, hey, well, actually, there is a, a wake up day coming. Yeah. There is a point where the dead in Christ will rise. There will be a, a bodily resurrection. And even those who are alive, who are left, will meet Jesus and meet them and Jesus in the air when he comes from heaven and will be with the Lord forever. So there's the hope of physical resurrection. There's the hope of reunification with our brothers and sisters in Christ and especially with Jesus. And what he says there in verse 17, we will always be with the Lord. Like one of the commentaries I was reading, I love how the guy said, like, this text is meant for the funeral home. This text is meant for the graveside service. This really is one of, one of those things that in the midst of our grief of brothers and sisters in Christ who die, for family members in Christ who die, we have this comfort that no matter how long we might be parted, we will be, we collectively will be with the Lord forever. Ah. Now I can grieve and hope, and I can embolden my brothers and sisters with these. There's words. an emboldening, but there's also, I, I love what he's doing there in, in verse 12 or 13, I believe, um, where he creates that contrast. You grieve differently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, like we should grieve. Grief is real, but we should grieve differently than the world around us. Yeah. And and I love the fact that he's drawing that out because, like you, to your point, hey, this is for the reality of death and the reality of loss but we're we're going to grieve but let's do it differently yeah and i just i I love that that he's drawing that out and recognizing the reality of it but he's pointing to something so much bigger that reframes i mean it's really kind of the reality of how they they write the whole new testament right it's taking that which is common and reframing it into a new way of thinking about that which is common yeah and i love that's the idea of like even like gospel messages that would be like not even just the biblical gospel message but this idea of a gospel a a a message of good news that king so-and-so off in a distant land won a battle and we're bringing this good news back here because you need to understand the implications of this message for your life okay you in thessalonica in the first century you just heard that this man jesus was raised in jerusalem on the far end of the mediterranean sea and here's the impact that that has for you in your life i think that's just like such a cool wow there's a even so that that word that that paul uses there in verse 14 we believe Jesus died and rose again, and even so, God will bring with him those who fall asleep in Jesus. You are, you are in a, a, you are a future tense participant in the resurrection of Jesus because God will bring you with him one day. Okay, so here's a. You guys both, uh, I'm the odd man out here because, Todd, you preach through this, and Christian, you preach through it. So who's the who's the guy at the table who didn't get to preach through this? You know? <laughs> so that means I get to ask the questions. You guys have all the answers. Um, no? <laughs> yes, some. <laughs> so, you guys can't see the disdain that is being like... <laughs> the, 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 I wish you guys could experience this right now. All right. So, here's the question I have. Um, man, Christian, I think you did a great job of framing that. But if what you're saying is that this is a passage for the funeral home that's reframing how we grieve and how we process death and how we do that differently and we, we grieve with hope... Mm-hmm. This is a passage that's often gone to, and both of you guys, when you were preaching through it, alluded to this because you said the two things that anchor are this past reality of Jesus' resurrection and the future reality of his return. Mm -hmm. 
And I think sometimes we get so fixated on, can you guys just speak to the, to the issue of the return of Jesus as we're kind of walking through the biblical ideal here? Is it, I know some people get caught up in like sequences and timelines and I don't know, maybe Todd, you can speak to that a little bit or. Yeah. Well, I think we forget that Paul wasn't trying to give a, uh, the final word on everything that happens in the return of King Jesus, right? So to, to start to create timelines and charts and graphs off this one, just first of all, I don't think that was ever his intent, so we need to be careful creating those kinds of things with it. But he he really did. I mean, it's pretty crazy. His The climax of this entire passage is verse 17, mm-hmm. that we will be <laughs> with him forever, right? And again, I don't, I don't think sometimes we let that resonate, that that is, that is found in Genesis 1 and 2, and that's found in, Re- in Revelation 21 and 22. There's an anchor point within the text of God's heart and desire to be with his people Amen. as his people forever, right? Like mm-hmm. not just kind of hang around with them, but there's a true intent of God, so we anchor it in one part in this idea of God's desire for us to, to fulfill that, that not only our longing, but His longing yeah. to be with His people. But then Paul anchors it in verse 14 to the resurrection of Jesus, that when that event took place, the moment Jesus died and He defeated sin and Satan on the cross and then was resurrected from the grave, events are set in motion in which it was going to take place. Mm-hmm. And so we can bank our hope there, and it's kind of how we've tried to define hope the whole way through First Thessalonians. Our God has been faithful, is being faithful, and His good that He has intended for us, He will be faithful. And so therefore, we can. the reason Paul says you can grieve with hope mm-hmm. is because there's, an, there's these beautiful anchor points that Paul lays out there as he begins to tell this amazing story. And I think what, what oftentimes happens with with charts and graphs is we're so concerned about the events and when they take place and how they take place that you you miss the grand narrative of what he's saying, the heart and cry of every human, the epitome of the story of God, every facet of this. Do you understand? He's just landing it out there. It arrives. We finally are with God forever. So good. And I think like that for me, when I was studying this text, no wonder we should use this, you know, we'll talk about it later in verse 18. Tell this to each other. Keep telling this to each other. Don't stop telling this to each other. Use these words as the means of compelling because I think like we have to be reminded because in the same way they had a wrong view of death, we have a wrong view of death. We have a wrong understanding. In the same way old dudes like Aristotle and Plato shaped their understanding of death, guess what? Old dudes like Aristotle and Plato shaped our wrong understanding of death. And so into this, these words continue to reframe not only the victory of Jesus, but our place in the story. And so I think that's why this text is so important to not, not get caught up in the the minutiae. There's a, you used the word there when you tied together what we see in Genesis and what we see in Revelation of like God's unceasing desire to be with us. I think that, gosh, that's like a, that's like grounds for worship right there to go. Not only has, has God promised these things, not only can we trust that he will keep his promises, but the driving force behind all of this is God's own desire. He wants to be with us. And he has shown that he is big enough and strong enough and wise enough and good enough to get what he wants. And that, okay, I can I can grieve in hope. I can have courage because this isn't just God saying, well, I obligated myself because I promised I'd do it, so I probably should. No, he's driven by his desire to be with his people. And that's and, glorious. And I think like what, what, 
what ends up then in chapter five, verse three, this idea of peace and security, mm -hmm. I think it's in us. <clears throat> We long for that. Yeah. Like we long for that authentic sh peace, shalom, right? We, yeah. we long to, to yeah. be in, in that rightness with God. And so it's, it's God's desire, no doubt, right? That frames it all. Yeah. But deep within us, our longing, whether we know it or not, even that craving for safety and security and all those other things that we have within us, it's longing for that day where we finally realize what we have longed for. Yeah. And so I, I think like we can't let Paul not be Pastor Paul here. Mm -hmm. He wanted to pastorally just help these people see the hope. Yeah, no, I, I love where you guys are going with this. And if I'm if I'm being really honest, as I'm listening to you guys talk, it's it is it's like accomplishing what I think Paul hoped is that it's instilling hope. And you guys have done a great job with verse 13 <laughs> and framing out the front end of like, hey, here's where we need to like, hey, in light of death. Hey, you need to grieve differently, and you know the return of Jesus and the the resurrection of Jesus. And Todd, you did a great job of kind of framing out the end of verse seventeen and eighteen, which we'll get to. But what about verses fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, which have uh, not been really talked through as we're kind of framing out this biblical idealism? Yeah, well, I don't know. You can touch more to it, but Paul uses a statement four in verse fourteen, meaning, okay, I've just said this now. He's, I need to explain this to you. Mm -hmm. And then in 15, hey, you know, I know I've just said this about God now returning in a way he will bring with us with him. Mm -hmm. And so there's no doubt he's going to do that. But then in verse 15, he says, but I need to explain more. Everything yeah. I've just said, to your point, 14, 15, 16 are all in the beginning of 17 are explanations of how God accomplishes that broad yeah. idea of what he's going to do. And, and I'll let Christian go into it, but it's just everything else in between that is just how we, how we get there. Yeah, which is really cool. I mean, yeah, the, the, the cool. details that he gives us there and the wording that he uses is, is there's there's such like exciting details that we, oh. that we, we liked and we ought to get excited about. Um, but yet also sometimes can cause a little bit of tension and, and confusion in the midst of it too. But like, I mean, I know you, I, I teed it up for you and I know I frustrated people by saying you'd hit on it the next <laughs> Especially week. Especially my wife. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, oh man, like that, that word that he uses there in verse 15 for uh, left until the coming of the Lord, mm -hmm. not just like coming over for dinner, coming in for a visit, but like the, the parousia, like the, the royal arrival of Jesus and then you mentioned in the same way there's this corresponding term there in verse 17 that 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 we who are alive who are left are caught up together with our brothers and sisters who died who have now been raised to meet the lord in the air and that word meet is is very official too in terms of the way that the dignitaries the people of, of good reputation in the city would cor have a reciprocal move to go out to this king, this ruler, as he comes into the city. I mean, I don't know. You can yeah, and I think what that. was so cool about that is like they would have had images. That's what I think is so important is head. we don't have this context. <clears throat> no. And so when we realize that this was a common like reality that he was drawing from, yeah. that everyone who's reading this would have understood, oh, he's talking about the coming dignitary the yeah. use your yeah. word in going that that yeah. would have been familiar language and but christian, we don't have christian launched this off like and i think this is so important 
they would have had this image in their head yeah. that we don't have, number one. Number two, they would have had a very personal image in their head because of Thessalonica, because Thessalonica was so important to the eventual reign of Pompeii and the eventual reign of Octavian, in which when they use these words together, this idea of come and, and meet together, it would have spoke of the coming of a new era. Right, yeah. like it wasn't just that. Oh, it's cool. We're gonna go meeting and kind of walking back into town. We're gonna have a nice party and you know kill some animals at the temple. It was. It spoke to the idea that when these men entered the city, and they entered into to your point, Christian, with those people as their entourage, bringing them and victoriously back into the city and welcoming them into yeah. the town. It was the inaugurating of a new era. Yeah. That that who was. Uh, the king is no longer king. There is a new king. The king now reigns and rules over all things. And so, again, I think Paul's using this imagery to thrust in this idea of the grand victory of Jesus as the means of setting up chapter five when he starts talking right. about the day of the Lord. Yeah, I think one of the things, like perhaps, because I, I, we don't really have a frame of reference for like the the the, the official nature or like the the, the 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 picture of what this parousia and this meeting would look like, but perhaps the closest thing we see to it in Scripture is what happens on the triumphal entry uh, of Jesus as he's coming into Jerusalem again, that leading into that final week leading up to his crucifixion. But he comes over the hill and his Disciples flock to him, and they take palm branches, yeah. and they lay their garments Hosanna. down, and they 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 are crying out, "Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord." They're they're ushering, escorting him into the city with in, in such a royal way mm -hmm. that that again maybe is a more familiar image for us. If we want to know what this royal arrival and people meeting this ruler and escorting him into the city. That's probably one of the. One of the I think it's a great picture, but it's still it's a it's a it's a far distance from where we live currently. Yeah, for sure. But but, but you're right. But it's familiar. But well, it's cause, well, because I also think the response of it, like for like uh, you know, living somewhat in the L.A. area, when the president comes into town, basically, what does that mean for you and I? It just basically traffic. means yeah, traffic and stay <laughs> away from the airport because it's just going to be a hassle and heightened security. There's not this sense of let's go meet him and welcome him. Let's give him a welcome that is fitting to his yeah. position. And I think this is where they were worried was, will the people that have died before Christ, will they be there for the victory reception? Yeah. yeah. Right. That was and so. Yeah. And then again, like all the pomp and circumstance of that moment. Yeah. And I think that's why he uses this idea that he connects together Hebrew thought with Greek thought and the blowing of the trumpets and the announcement of the herald and yeah. and all these different things would have to they would have totally had this imagery in their head and even then being ushered in in glory right i think that's the cloud and even the air has this idea yeah. of the the grandness of what is coming to to be but paul was using this to go i know you're asking me this question yeah. But I want to reframe this a little bit, and I want to make sure that you see that this grand victory of Jesus, yeah. mm -hmm. his overcoming all things, which we'll learn about in chapter 5, even the overcoming of great evil, the overcoming of evil that has been throughout time in the day of the Lord, yeah. we're getting to that time. That's where this is. It's this super helpful for me because it's it's that resetting of going, okay, I see what Paul's doing, but, but when I read... You know the book of Thessalonians, the discipline of going. Oh, that's right. The, this was a city in the Mediterranean in the first century that had a context, and and it's different than the way I think. 
And so when I remember that this is a letter, it really helps me actually understand what it is that the Holy Spirit was doing, speaking through Paul mm-hmm. to this group. And, and, and when I remember that, I actually go, oh, I can be encouraged in the same yeah. way. I think that's why when we talked about kind of crafting it, is that on one level, Christian helping everybody understand it, but then why I, I mean, it's kind of plain Jane what I did the Sunday I did, but the who, what, when, where, why, how. Yeah. Hey, we better understand the who, what, when, why, why, mm-hmm. how, because we're we're Americans living in the 21st century. And if you don't understand some of those questions that are being asked, we're not going to know how to apply it. Which, Because again, when he gets to verse 18, mm-hmm. he he wants us to continually use these words over and over and over again. I mean, I, I tried to repeat hope, hope, hope over again just to get that idea of what I think he was trying to to say to people, these words are important to repeat in front of each other mm-hmm. because we can forget in the midst of you know what's going on in our world that King Jesus is returning and we will be his entourage as his people. Because he says that in chapter 3, verse 13, the saints coming with him at his return yeah. to this world to usher in his this new era and what's going to happen. And he says to to them, use these words. Mm-hmm. Make sure these words stay on your lips and what you're doing. That, that, again, frames our expectations of what we should expect from this text. Yeah. Like, of course, there's more questions of timing and choreography of how do all these events fit together and all that kind of stuff. But th- this passage is yeah. enough for us to grieve with hope in the yeah. face of death and for Amen. us to encourage and embolden one another, like exhort each other to live in light of yeah. the, the the impending return right. of Jesus. All right, so we don't want to just navel gaze here. That's what this text is not for. It's for us to sit around and look at it. But let's let's now just take a little bit of time and let's, let's unpack this. How do we kind of in our friendship and in through our local church, Cornerstone. Yes, that's right. That's uh, where we're, uh, yes. we're part of Cornerstone. <laughs> I appreciate you landing, uh, land this text within just our context. Okay, so kind of finish with that idea that we got to take something from a first century context mm. into a 21st century context. And you used the imagery of Jesus coming to town. I used Aladdin and Prince Ali coming <laughs> in this last Sunday. I didn't get to use an illustration. Yeah, and you didn't get to use an illustration. But I mean, it, it, I think we use those things, right? Because we don't have a context. Now, I think we get the idea of the importance of it. Yeah. But I think, like, for me, like, how do we how do we land this into our world? Like what from you guys' perspective, no doubt Paul says, I want you to keep repeating this over and over. Maybe I'll start with this. Like why? Why do we need to keep repeating this over and over and over to one another? Yeah, I I look at this and I go, okay, they're they're definitely asking a question of grief and in in processing that. Um but again, going back to your <laughs> The, the thing you, you said at the at verse 18 of going, we need to remember the end of 17 going, we're going to be with Jesus and encourage each other with these words. And yeah, he's speaking about death there, but I think we need to be reminded of that return of Jesus all the time. Mm-hmm. And I know for me, I, I mean, the reason that matters is because I get caught up and distracted with, well, just about everything. <laughs> I mean, whether it's, whether it's work stuff, whether it's, fears about what's going on in, you know, Eastern Europe right now or geopolitical, you know, stuff going on, financial pressures, inflation, you know, whatever it is, I can get caught up in worry and lose the script on just about 
anything. And I haven't even talked about family, yard work, <laughs> or just my work, you know, just yeah. on the, you know, school side. And so for me going, I can lose the script on anything. And what we were saying at the break is, is um, this, this is a like profoundly like being reminded that the resurrection of Jesus and the return of Jesus actually helps me all of a sudden actually reflecting differently on death. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of forces me to, to be reminded of what matters. Mm. So like, a, like for us, like just had a, a family member die. They're exactly what is being spoken of here in First Thessalonians 4, a follower of Jesus. Mm-hmm. They're the dead in Christ and going... And sitting in that memorial service, man, it was a good reminder of going, I don't need to be afraid of what's going on in Europe. I don't need to be afraid of financial pressures or mm, yeah. or what's going on, you know, this family, that family. You know, just going, oh, oh, that's right. The resurrection of Jesus and the return of Jesus. And I can be encouraged in that. And it just reset all kinds of stuff on all kinds of issues. I don't know if that makes sense or not. I feel like I'm just kind of vomiting all over Augur, you guys. Well, I think it's just the reframing of perspective, right? Like, I think there's no doubt about it. There is something powerful, not only about going into the house of mourning, right, and dealing with the reality of death, but then reminding ourselves the reframing of death like Paul did here. It, It totally changes perspective. But it changes perspective on everything 100%. not just on death well just in that context like you said grief but it's it, yeah it's everything but in that that specific one yeah yeah who are you no i think i think you're you're so right i would I, even though you were uh, talking all over the place and now i am too like it just really <laughs> does reframe so much that sense of what is what is ultimate um what is what truly is like necessary and unavoidable i think that oftentimes yeah in in the week to week day to day living there can definitely be those times of neglecting responsibility but there can also be those times of almost like carrying the weight of responsibility in a wrong way putting too much weight on myself that no no seriously like the world hangs in the balance of whether or not i get everything done and done well that i need to get done this week and again that that reminder of of this like the 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 point that you were saying at the break that it's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting because man this is the destiny of all mankind and the living should take it to heart there is a, the ultimateness of life and death and hope of resurrection and it does on the one hand it is humbling in those ways i am not as important as i think the work that i do is i want to be faithful with it mm-hmm. but god has not put the weight of the world on my shoulders he's he is perfectly fine carrying that weight and i want to leave that on his shoulders but i think so on the one side it is humbling and then on the other side there is a sense of it it does in some ways give you a the idea of it at least gives allows me to take deeper breaths it allows me to go okay that's right so the outcome of the next election cycle my, my hope and security does not hang on that the the outcome of the the cost of living in Southern California my my hope and security does not rest on that the the outcome of the war in in the Ukraine though I pray for my brothers and sisters mm-hmm. that are there their security does not rest on uh, hopefully a, a ceasefire or peace with Russia the the victory the return the 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 royal coming of Jesus and the guarantee that the dead in Christ will be their first like 
ah, that's for sh- that's for sure. God has based his character on that. Not to put the person that I want in office, not to make sure that the cornerstone becomes all that I want it to be or anything like that, but like the the return, the victory of Jesus with his saints and to be with him forever. Okay, I want to recalibrate my expectations there because I, I hope that one of the things I wrestle with a lot, even just over the last couple of years, is I think what Paul talks about in Galatians 6, this idea of growing weary in, in doing good. I just you get tired and you get weary by it, and it's like, oh, that's right. The the the, the ultimate outcome doesn't rest on my shoulders. I yeah. need that. I need the peace, the rest that that gives, to know that Jesus has got this, and He says I'll be there with Him. Okay, that's enough. Yeah, I think that that reality was probably the thing, God's supreme control over all things. And like I didn't expect to find that in this text, to mm. be honest with you. Mm. But when I was wrestling through the who of this text, and I kind of brought it out a little bit when I was preaching. Every activity that takes place in what's going on with from and when you hang those two anchor points, right? It, it's it's not based upon my capacity nor my faithfulness to fulfill it. That there is a God who is sovereign over all things, mm-hmm. and so therefore, it's not about events and times and seasons. It's about a person, mm-hmm. right? It, it is about the person Jesus, and and I, I I'm with you both you know I can as we wrestle through with probably the greatest things like the geopolitical events and just then the stuff that happens within our lives it's not that God doesn't care about them I mean Paul cared about the very grief they were going mm-hmm. through in the it's that it's what he's doing is using this grand cosmic event to make sure that it shapes these mm-hmm. these things going on in our lives right. and that for me was I just I had such a sense of thankfulness that in the midst of everything that's going on, a God who truly does care about what's going on in our lives wants us now to focus and reframe our perspective mm-hmm. in and around these grand events as he deals with these intimate moments within our life so that mm-hmm. we might walk through them well as a means of displaying them in the midst of right. it. Right. If, th- like if we think through this passage in just the in the real like big picture bullet points, not the details of going, you in essence have an issue that's causing concern. You have a proclamation of Jesus coming and the, 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 the return of the king, you know, and then you have how that plays out at the end and how, you know, happily ever after, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but for, for the church in Thessalonica, it was very much about death. So I want to, I mean, acknowledge that, mm-hmm. but you go, it could almost be any issue yeah. for me of going, okay, so if I'm wrestling through issues of death, how does the coming of Jesus give me hope in that? Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, like you were saying, I'm going, man, I I just found this passage to be so incredibly hope-inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. Which it's supposed Which to be. Which it's supposed right? to That's do. That's what it's supposed to But it's so much, but it's, I'll be honest, I'm going, man, up until the last maybe year or so, I'd look at, First Thessalonians four, and I, I was always thinking, oh, this is a this is an end times passage, and it, and it is kind of, but it's more about a hope inspiring passage Amen. based on the issues that I'm wrestling mm-hmm. through, and again for the church in Thessalonica, it was the issue of death, but man, the, the what you see in verse seventeen that that we will be with him forever and encourage each other with these words, yeah. Like the, the the return of the king is coming. Mm-hmm. You'll be with him forever. Encourage each other with this. Okay, so in spite of the geopolitical stuff, mm-hmm. in spite of the family stuff, in spite of death, in spite of the hardships of life, and remember the king is coming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in that hope, 
I think that is the only way to rightly face those issues. 100%. Right, like by all the other things that we tend to do in those. Because we, what happens when we lose sight of the king? Oh, well, yeah, it's, we, it, we become a mess, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so in it, I think like even what you said earlier about Ukraine, we, it still frames our understanding of how we pray. Yeah. Of how we, right? It's, it, it just, now it keeps us from going all over the place and how we're supposed to respond to a, a, a grand geopolitical event. It allows us to zero in. Well, yeah. what do we do? If, if, if God is in control of all things, moving all things towards his will, it seems to be our greatest endeavor should be through prayer, through, mm-hmm. you know, engaging our brothers and sisters in Christ. So it's just, I think there's something so beautiful about this text that I think I used, I, I missed the grand reality of this, I think, because I was so worried about charts and graphs and and details. And I, in the midst of getting caught up in those things, it's like, oh my goodness, this is the return of yeah. the king. It's meant to cause mm-hmm. you to be there. And so my, my prayer for all of you just here at Cornerstone is that the return of the king truly does frame how you begin to look, or as you continue to look, sorry, at mm-hmm. all the different things that are going on in our life. I know different ones, you're facing different realities. Mm-hmm. We do have brothers and sisters in Christ. There is a grand geopolitical event. We don't want to underplay that in the least. And there's some of you that are dealing with grief of loved ones of that you've jo- just lost recently. Like, But in the grace of Jesus Christ, even, I loved how Christian put it when he preached, even in the midst of the loss of those that don't know Jesus, there's still immense hope Amen. because the King is returning. So God bless you all. We love you. Have a phenomenal week. And in the name of Jesus, enjoy thinking through the return of the King. God bless you. Amen.